The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, a minute, uh, just a few moments ago, we reminded you how we should approach God's Word. We come to His Scriptures, we, we realize that when we open the Bible, we are hearing from God Himself. We open it up with our, with our minds ready to hear, uh, our hearts ready to understand what He has to say to us so that we can know God, worship Him, enjoy Him, and obey Him. And so now, let's go to God's Word and read what it says. We'll be reading... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. And we are working through this short mini-series, a three-week series, through this entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, focusing on a few verses at a time. The core focus of this passage, of course, is, is that God desires for our life to be a life lived in love. And what, what, God, what God says matters most, and what he says about our life is that it's to be lived in love. You're going to hear that word a lot this morning. Love And kids, if you have your family worship bulletin with you and you're taking tally marks on words that you hear, I bet the word love is going to happen a lot this morning. Uh, love must be at the center of our lives. Everything is, revolves around love, God's love to us and our love towards others. And this morning we're going to focus on verses 4 through 7 to see how we are to have love at the center of our relationships with others. So let's talk about relationships. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or a child or extroverted or introverted or socially awkward. You know who you are. Uh, you were made for relationship with God. No matter if you're shy or get embarrassed easily or if you don't like people uh, taking notice of you or maybe you're really excited all the time, it doesn't matter. You were made for relationship because we are made to be like God. We're made in his image and God is a God who is relational. And we know though that relationships get hard. You don't have to um, be an adult to realize that. Uh, it doesn't happen just for adults where there's conflict in relationship. It happens to the young and old where sometimes people hurt your feelings. Relationships break up, you move on and things like that. It's a part of life. But God calls us to love others well. 
And so that's what this is about. Here is what we need to know. If we want to be people who love well in relationships, we need to know these three things. First, you got to have it. You got to know it. And finally, you got to desire it. And if you do these three, three things, then you will love people well. Easy enough, right? You got to have it. You got to know it. And you got to desire it. First, let's go through these three. Um, first, you got to have it. What does it mean to have love. What do I mean you got to have love? The passage does not get us to think about how to love by giving us a list of things to do. Uh, If Paul wanted us to simply have a a laundry list of things to do to get better at loving others, he would say things like this. He would say, you need to be patient. You need to be kind to others. You need to not be rude. You need to not boast or be envious of others. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't make it about us at all. He writes in a completely different way. Do you notice what he says? He doesn't say, you need to be patient. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. What Paul is doing, the writer of this letter, he is personifying love. So he is taking something, and what that means is he's treating it as if it's a living, breathing, acting person. He is treating this attribute as it's a person. As Paul is writing this, there's no doubt that he's thinking about the one who is patient. He's thinking about the one who's kind, the one who is true true in, in its purest form, the one who does not boast but humbled himself to the point of death and dying on the cross. We know that Paul is thinking about Jesus as he describes what love is like. And so before we do loving things to others, we need to have an encounter with the one who is love. We need to have Christ in our life and dwelling in our hearts so that we can know how to love people well. Why? Because we cannot give away something we don't have. Have you ever tried to do that, to give away something that you don't have? You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like putting salt on your food from a salt shaker that is completely empty. Have you ever tried doing that before? It doesn't taste the same. It's like trying to do something that we don't have in us. If your idea of of knowing and following Jesus is simply this, I need to live like Jesus and follow the example that he has set for me, then you will never, never love well. You'll only try to become loving. You'll only try to love well, but you'll never really do it because our greatest problem are not just our behaviors or lack of love. Our greatest problem is a spiritual problem that our hearts are broken, that our hearts need to be, to be made new. And so this checklist, right, it's a really famous passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we look at these things, and often we think, here are all the things I need to do well in order to be loved by God. But this is not a list of things that we need to do well. This is a list that should be titled, Reasons Why I Need Jesus. Because we don't love well. We are not patient at times in relationships. We are not kind. We do boast. We are envious. When people have things we want, we we hate them in our hearts. We want them to hurt, and we want those things to be taken away so that we can feel better at times. But we need to be embraced by God's love. We need to be accepted in his love. We need to be rescued for his love. And so our ability to love others, if you desire to be a person who follows God's command and loving others, it needs to flow from the storehouse of Jesus' love that has been given to you. You know, recently in our home, uh, me and our, our kids um, have been really excited about ventriloquism. Anybody else really like that in their home? You ever watch these? Yeah, we really got into it. I mean, hours YouTube. I mean, 
we try to find these people. Where do they live? Maybe we can go visit them in their home, you know. So we, we're really into ventriloquism right now. Now, it's our ability to love others. Is it, I'm going somewhere, I promise. Our ability to love others comes from the same place that the voice does for that puppet. You look at this puppet and you say, just, wouldn't you speak already? Ah, this, this puppet's really not a, it's, it's a defective puppet. Our ability to love others does not come from us just trying to love, trying to dig deep and to love, but it comes from love of Christ working through us. It comes from God's love working through us, just as the voice does of the ventriloquist making this puppet talk. Here's the gospel. This is for everyone. This is for kids and for adults. Here's what the gospel is. It is the good news that tells us that perfect love, Jesus, lost the love of his Father to give us a love that we could never find on our own and never lose. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That the one who is love gave up the love that he had with the Father and gave us love when we didn't deserve it so that we can never lose it. We would have his love forever and nothing would separate us from the love of God. And when that digs deep into your heart, it changes the way that you love. It transforms the way that you see people and treat people. Trying to love without that happening to your heart is impossible. It's like trying to season food with a salt shaker with no salt in it. We cannot give away what we do not have. We must have the love of Christ to fill our hearts. So that's first. We have to have it. We have to have the love of Christ if we desire to love others well. We need to dwell on it. We need to, we need to think about it. We need to rest in it. Second, though, we've got to know what love is. We've got to know it. We have to know love. Not only do we need to have the love of Jesus, but we need to know what the love of Jesus truly, truly looks like. And Paul really walks us through this to help us out. I'm reminded of this famous, some of you will know this, some of, our, some of the grandparents in here will know this. I'm reminded of, of uh, that famous 1960s musical with Audrey Hepburn called uh, My Fair Lady, right? A friend of mine told me about it. Uh, <clears throat> no, okay, honestly, I saw it, loved it, even went to go see the theater play. So anyway, Eliza, right? Eliza, the fair lady, right? She's the, she's the, the key actress, is taken by a professor, and she is coached and transformed to be this really classy lady. And, and now... Um, there's this young man named Freddie. Freddie's a hopeless romantic. He falls in love with her when, she, when he sees that she has been transformed. And he falls in love with her. He's, he's the romantic type. I mean, he, is just, he bubbles over in affection. He walks by her house, and he just sings. And every time he passes her doorstep, he sings, and he sings songs like he, he, it feels like he's floating above the pavement. And he's never felt this way before. And, and Freddie sends letters, two or three letters, every single day to her house poems, poetry, and, and love letters to express his love to her. He stays out, his way. he hides in the bushes and, and waits for her to come out just to catch, catch a glimpse of her. And one morning, she actually walks out her door and he's right there and, he, and she says, what have you been doing? Why are you here? And he says, oh, I spend most of my nights here. Okay, Freddie's a stalker, right? This is like, this is like rule number one. He, he doesn't love her, he's, he's stalking her. And so he begins to sing and, and to profess his love towards her right there on the spot, on the sidewalk. And, and as he begins to sing, she interrupts his song mid-sentence, and she says, words, 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 I'm sick of your words. If you're in love, show me. If you're on fire, show me. I'm not going to burst out in song, I promise. Don't talk of love, show me. Don't explain to me how you desire your arms to be wrapped around me. Show me. 
Love is more than warm words, she is saying. Love is more than nice feelings. Love is more than just romantic desires. Love is more than the joy of companionship and having someone close in your life. You see, we often want to be loving to people. We want to show love to others. But to be truly loving, we need to know what, what love is. We really need to know what true love is not. What is love? Isn't it obvious from this passage that love is a, is a verb? I learned that from DC Talk. Um, love is not just any action, though. It's not just doing things for people. Love is a specific action in a specific direction for that person. And I want to put it this way. Love is a covenant of action for the ultimate and eternal good of another person. This is what true love is. It's not just doing things, it's not just feeling things, but it is love in a certain direction for a certain end for that person. And anything other than this very specific goal for that person, it is not true love. You see, we live in a world uh, and have for quite some time that equates love with absolute freedom. And it says this, if you love me, you'll let me be me. That's how it works itself out in our lives. If you truly love me, don't correct me, just accept me. Don't, don't rebuke me, just be there for me. Don't tell me what I need to do to be different, just love me. That is not love. That is something completely different. The Bible tells us to love others, but it never tells us to love others indiscriminately. See, the Bible doesn't say, go and love people. And you know what? While you're doing that, figure out what that means to love others. The Bible always defines what love is when it tells us to do it. Jesus never asks us to love people without defining it. 1 John chapter 3, this is what, this is what the, the apostle John says. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we say, yeah, of course, we should love one another. And he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our life for our brothers. You see, do you want to be, you want to be loving? Then we need to know how Jesus has loved us. We must know the truth of what he tells, that we are far worse than, than, we, than we thought, but we are, we are far more loved than we ever hoped we could be. The passage writes, love rejoices with the truth. Love celebrates with the truth. And here's what it means. Love rejoices with the truth. It's the truth of God, the truth of his word. More specifically, the truth of his gospel revealed in his word about Jesus and what he's done for us. Here's the funny thing. I love this. Think of, a, think of like a party love is going to. Love, wherever the word of God is being preached, love, go, love, love enjoys going to that party and to sing about that. He says, hey, if that's, where, if that's where God's truth is, that's where I'm going to be. And if it's not there, then I'm not going to be there. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Wherever there is God's word, there is genuine, true love. But listen, the opposite is also true. Wherever there is genuine love, there will always be a demonstration of God's word. You cannot have love where there is not truth the truth of God, the ultimate and eternal good for every person is to want to find oneself hoping and resting and living in the love of Christ. I'll say it another way. It is impossible to truly love another person when the reason or expression of that love to that person does not agree with the commandments of God.
that's hard to hear. And you might wonder to yourself, have I ever been loving? Has anyone ever loved me truly? But this is what, this is what Paul is getting to when he says, love rejoices with the truth. Not a truth that we get to define for ourselves, but the truth that God has revealed. How do you love people without giving them the truth? You can't. If someone says, don't correct me, just love me, they are not asking for love, but something completely different. They're actually asking, without being aware of it, I don't think people are trying to do this, but they're asking, without being aware of it, for you to ignore their greatest well-being. So what do we do? I mean, do we just go around spreading love by pointing out everybody's faults all the time? Is that what this is saying? Of course not. Why? Because love is not just one that rejoices with the truth. Love is also patient. Love is also kind. Love is also not rude. So, okay, I needed to say that because some of you are like, all right, I know what I'm about to do now. I got so many people I want to go love, you know, and just share all this truth with, right? Dropping truth bombs on everyone's lives. Hey, hey without, without love, there's no truth, you know? Love is not just truthful. It's patient. It's kind. It's not rude. It never stops. It's long-suffering. It, it pursues that person to the very end. When we know the truth of God's love for us, we will treat people differently. When we know his truth, when we know what it means to be loved by God, that we are far worse than we ever imagined, but we are far more loved than we ever hoped, it will start to transform how we look at people when they, when they are wrong, when they sin, when they're living in a life of sin. We will be, for a lack of a better expression, we'll be patient. We will be kind. We will not envy or boast. We will not speak arrogantly or rudely because we know that we deserve God's punishment, but instead we have been given the abundance of his mercy and grace. And so we confront that person, one with gentleness, to restore them, what? To their greatest hope of well-being that is only found in the love of Jesus. That's our goal. Our goal is not to correct merely. Our goal is not to get them to be more like us. Our goal is for them to enjoy Jesus more. And we know they will never find that satisfaction until they find Jesus. So we have to have it. It needs to change our heart. We need to know it and distinguish real love from, not, from fake love. And then we gotta, we got to desire it. Let's finish there. we got to desire love. You want to love well, you must desire it. Desire it's an awesome emotion. It is a, a powerful emotion. Desire is what we dream about. Desire is what gets us up in the morning. Desire is what we think about when we've been given space in our day to think about anything that we want. Desire motivates us like nothing else does. If we struggle with others, the problem is never because we don't have enough desire to love others. But it's because we have misplaced desires. We have our desire in the wrong places. I can't remember who said it, but I've heard it and it's stayed with me for years. That love is not a hammock. You can't fall out of it. Right? What does this mean? Love is not a hammock. You don't fall out of it. We don't fall out of love. We simply steer our affection and desire and love from that person towards something else. And usually it's towards ourselves. You've stopped making me feel the way I want to feel, so I don't love you anymore. You, you stopped being the person that I once remember you to be, and so, so I, we're not in love anymore. We steer it towards our own appetites. We steer it towards our wishes and our hopes and our dreams. We will never be able to love well 
if the reason that we love is to get good things from other people. I mentioned this last week. Pay attention to the answers that you give when someone says, why do you love me? Because you make me feel great about who I am. But what happens when that person stops making you feel great? I love you because you're always there for me. What if something happens and that person can't be there for you? I love you because you always provide for me. What if that person loses their job? Do You see, if love is motivated and expressed mainly in getting good from other people, that's not true love. Loving others is an exercise of letting God arrange our desires to where they rightfully belong. It's an exercise. We desire it. We pursue it like a person. We pursue these things to change our heart. We pursue the love of God to change how we feel about people, to put our desires where they rightfully belong, where Christ and, and, and worship of him and knowing him and having him is the greatest, the greatest of all pursuits in our life. How do we apply this? Let's close this up. How do we apply this together? Look at what Paul is, look at who he's writing to. He's writing to the church, right? He's writing to people. He's not writing only to married couples, right? This, is only, this passage is usually quoted at weddings, but it's, he's not writing just to people who are about to get married. He's writing to everyone. He's writing to a group of people who are vastly different from one another, and they cannot stand each other, and their whole church and relationship and everything about them is about to break apart, and Paul is trying to save it. And they're about to break apart for really for far worse reasons than you and I have ever faced. When we read this passage, here's how we apply this. When we read this passage, we are supposed to see faces. We are supposed to think about people in our lives, real people, faces of people that you have a difficult time loving. You're doing it right now. I know you are. If you're not, you start doing it. Who? Who don't you want to love anymore? Who is difficult to love? Who have you expressed yourself saying, you know what, I just don't love that person anymore. This person is just too difficult to love. They're the people who annoy. They're the people who bother you. They're the people that hurt you. It's the people that let you down. It's the people that, that betray you. The hard reality is this, though. As you are thinking of those people and looking at those faces in your mind's eye, it's likely at some point in your life that you are that person for somebody else as well. That's what's so painful about this. It's so easy to think about people that God is calling us to love. But get this, someone else is trying to exercise that same thing for you. It happens to all of us at some point. It's easier and so much quicker to say, I need to go to another church. I need to find new friends. How has that ever worked for you to do that? Here, it was, here's what you need to do. If you, if you have difficulty loving people, here's what you ultimately need to do. You really need to go to a place where humans don't exist. Okay, there we go. Feel better now? That'll solve all of our problems. That's really what we're trying to do when we move on and say, well, I'll find people who don't hurt me. I'll find people who love me for me. I'll find people who don't betray me. You will be endlessly running from people, and you'll be alone. And then you'll say, I don't even love myself. The answer is not to do that, but we should see faces. What the church needs are people who are devoted and committed to learning how to love people well from the overflow of the love of Jesus in our hearts. The way you can tell a person is growing in true love with others is the reason that they do one thing or another is increasingly tied to their love for Jesus rather than 
how decisions might impact their own lives. Let me say that again. The way you can know if someone is growing in their relationship with Jesus is the reasons that they do things and make choices is increasingly a result of their love for Jesus rather than what will make them happy. You see, Paul says, this is how children typically live. You know, and we, no matter how old, if we're young children, we are to be growing in this way, putting away things and, and ideas of just making choices that just make us happy and starting to make choices based on the love of Jesus for us. You see, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, John says. Here's how we close. I want to put up three questions. So you have a chance to write them down if you want to so that you can revisit them throughout the course of your day and week and year. First, I want you to think of people. Do we have that slide? There we go. When a person is difficult to love, I want you to think of that person again. And I want you to think of the person right now who you're having a difficult time loving. And young and old, on a count of three, I just want us all to say that name out loud. No, 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 don't, don't, don't say it. Actually, just stay with it. Don't say it, please. I'm afraid I'm going to hear my name. Okay? When a person is difficult to love, here's why I want you to think about. Why is this person difficult to love? I mean, really answer that question. Dig deep and say, what, how do you feel and why, why is it difficult? Now, not an existential thing. I mean, just talk about what is that person doing that's bothering you, that hurts you, that makes you want to just say, I'm done with this. Think about those things. Identify those things and how they make you feel. And then the second question is, how has God treated you when you have acted that exact same way? To him? To others? You say, well, I don't know. Search the scriptures. John says, well, by, this, by this way we will know God's love. He laid down his life for us. He loved us first. He pursued us. He gave himself for us. He loved us in spite of all of those things on that list. And so as we think about the person that's bothering us that makes it difficult to love, and then we think about God's love for us, it's going to do something. It takes work to do this. We need to enter into this process. And then finally, how can God's love for you and his spirit within you empower you to actually obey his commands to love? You see, now we become that, like, we, we are that puppet, in a sense. This analogy is imperfect, so don't take it too far. But we are, we are that, that puppet that God is working through. We are now able to love a person, not because we have gotten the courage, we've built up the courage to do it, not because we have said, okay, I need to do this because this is what God's asked of me. But we are allowing the love of Christ to overflow in our hearts and spill out into that person in front of us that is difficult to love. We see that person as God sees that person. We know that person doesn't have to live perfectly for us because God has accepted us. He has, he has rescued us. He's adopted us into his family. And so now this patience that we have, it's not the voice of our voice speaking to that person. It's the voice of Jesus. It's the patience of Jesus. It's the kindness of Jesus. It is the humility of Jesus. It's the tender restoration of, of Jesus flowing through us. And I think that if we work through this exercise, we will not only love well, but we will grow in the love of Jesus more and more because we will see how God has loved us. We can only love this way, not because we are good, but because the love of Jesus is loving that person through us as we know and rest in his love. This is not just for adults. It's not just for big people. This is for young people. This is for everyone who has a relationship with any person. And the love of God is good, and it never ends.
It never ends. Let's pray.